You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend, and with us today is Jacob Green. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, Jacob, you're one of our interns located up in the Albany office. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Where do you go to school? I go to school in SUNY Plattsburgh. I am a rising junior this upcoming semester and uh, love Plattsburgh. It's a great school. And yeah, I just started uh, interning here at CW about uh, four weeks ago. And uh, yeah, I really like everybody I'm working with. It's, I've been having a great time here. Dance. I really enjoy it. That's great. And uh, what kind of what kind of tasks do they have a young intern uh, doing <laughs> up in CW up in Albany? Um, initially, it was a lot of uh, just like database entries. Like uh, we would have some errors with like and just like updates with like all of the uh, accounts with the fundraising through the church. I would have to go in updating addresses and names in uh, any errors that were in there initially. But as I've continued working here, you know, I've started to do more and more projects, working with a marketing team. And now here I am on the uh, podcast. So, I mean, I'm really going up the ladder, it seems like. You are. You're rising quickly. Well, you know who else? Yeah. Uh, we've, we've had a couple of great interns, of more than more than a couple, I'm sure, over the years. Uh, I, I was talking with Yasmeen Hicks uh, the other week uh, here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Now she's a, a director with Changing Our World. And, of course, our, our CEO started out as an intern uh, at yeah, Changing yeah. Our World. I did see that podcast with Yasmin. I watched that one the other day. So um, tell us, uh, Jacob, what, what uh, drew you to Changing Our World? What, what kind of focus are you looking for for your career? Well, initially, I was at school, and my, uh, my uncle actually is uh, Jed Dorney. I don't know if you know him. Oh, I know he, Jed, sure. Yeah, yeah. he works in the Albany office, and he told me they were uh, looking for interns, and he gave me uh, Colleen's number, and I talked to Colleen a little bit when I was at school. And she was like, about, uh, as soon as uh, summer started, I came in and met her and I met the team. And I just really loved everyone here. I felt like it was a great fit for me. And uh, the work that I was doing, too, is I'm focused on marketing and uh, digital media on that school. So the work is, as well as people, everyone being really cool and nice, the work is uh, what I'm studying, too. So I feel like it's a great fit for me. That sounds like it. So, Jacob, you and I met uh, in New York City a couple of weeks ago, and when we were there, I was able to record a few discussions with some of our very talented consultants. Uh, Yasmin actually was one of, in one of the groups. This conversation, this episode of Advancing Our Church is going to focus in on uh, what nonprofits can do differently in the 2019-2020 fiscal year. So uh, I have on the show today Vanessa Dickerson uh, and Fred Roberts, and we're going to go ahead and go to that discussion now. But uh, Jacob, thanks for being on the show. Wish you all the best in Albany, and we're very excited and, and happy to have you uh, part of our podcast team. Awesome. Great. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, and uh, good luck with the rest of the podcast. Thanks so much. Well, welcome to the podcast, guys. Great to have you with us here. I'm with Vanessa Dickerson and Fred Roberts from Changing Our World, and we're just going to have a little conversation about uh, nonprofits and fundraising. We're moving into a new fiscal year, 
Um, and uh, the, the numbers, as of the date of this podcast, the numbers uh, are down for individual giving and for giving to religious institutions. So it would make sense maybe to have some conversation about uh, how that's going, maybe what development offices should be thinking about uh, and planning for the new year. But before we do that, Vanessa, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and uh, about what you've, you've done here at CW? All right. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for having me. I started at CW in 2013, so I'm going on six years. Uh, I started fundraising in, uh, well, I was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And in Texas, we have something called Robin Hood, where the equal funding taxes. So if you're in a wealthy area, you have to give to, you know, schools that aren't as well off. Um, but that meant that we lost bus services and things for the band. And so we heavily fundraise so that we could keep our children active in their passions. Then um, when my youngest turn went to second grade, I decided to fundraise for a living and actually make some money doing it. <laughs> I started with the Diocese of Dallas, working on their Our Faith, Our Future campaign, uh, then worked in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, the Diocese of Camden, and now I'm in the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. So... Fantastic. Lots of fundraising, so yes. a little bit of traveling around the country. A little yeah. bit. A yeah. little bit. Getting out there, yes. <laughs> well, that's great. Fred, uh, tell us a little bit about your career. Sure. That last eight and a half years with Changing Our World, a uh, total of 22, uh, doing fundraising consulting, primarily in the faith-based arena. Uh, so it's been my privilege to work with um, many different types of organizations, almost all nonprofit and many Catholic dioceses, parishes, and schools. My home and office are in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, but as uh, most of us do, I've done a lot of traveling in my career uh, across the country. Uh, so currently I'm working on a project in Hartford, Connecticut uh, with the Hartford Bishops Foundation. And uh, just glad to be here uh, with you this morning. Well, I'm so glad to have you both here. And, um, you know, just a couple of days ago, as I said, the uh, you know, you Giving USA came out with the numbers. And it was the first time that giving to religious institutions fell below 30%. And individual giving also fell uh, significantly. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think the causes were? Obviously, we're seeing the effects. But what, what, do, you, what do you guys think? Well, I would say, uh, you know, the landscape is always changing, you know, and doing this 20 years, you know, we have to, we have to be able to adapt. And uh, recently, especially uh, with the Catholic fundraising clients that we have, there's been many numerous challenges, um, and that's uh, obviously going to affect uh, fundraising. But more and more, we see that our, our donors really want to really know the impact of what they're giving is. Uh, so we, it's incumbent on us as development professionals to be able to show that impact. And uh, more and more, um, we have to do that with fewer resources. So, uh, so the, the challenges become greater, but I think our knowledge becomes greater as well. Uh, I think with a, a lot of the development offices, they need to be uh, they need to be leaner. They need to be lean and mean uh, because of, you know, the, if the dollars are shrinking, that means that they don't have the resources at their disposal uh, in terms of staff and in terms of, you know, the things that they need to do to get their message out. So uh, so it's really important to be open to, um, to new ideas, uh, which can be difficult. 
especially when you uh, have done, um, you know, if you've done your fundraising a certain way for a number of years and it's been successful, you, you really don't, you know, don't want to or need to do anything differently. But in today's climate, I think it's, it's really important to, to be open to new ideas. And uh, so I think that... Totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I've, uh, when I've done different workshops or coached different development professionals, I, I always, you got to try something new every year. You know, you can't do that same annual fund year after year with the same practice and expect different results. You know, right. it's the definition of insanity, right? Do the right same on. thing over and over and expect different results. Um, you know, try a major gift reception, try a different letter, try segmenting your letters, whatever it is, but just try something different. How about you, Vanessa? What do you think? Well, I think that there's so much out there to take advantage of now um, with social media and things like that. And trying to, as Fred said, um, change, uh, adapt, and get involved in things, but growing that passion, keeping it new and, and not the same, as you were mention, mentioning, the same appeal year after year. Yes, it's needed. Yes, it's there. But let's change it up a, a bit because um, people are very savvy now. Uh, not that they weren't back then, but with social media, you see things, you hear things, and um, also the climate has changed. And being in Catholic fundraising has been um, a challenge of late. And, you know, it's just getting people back on board and getting that passion again, because the church itself has not changed. The faith is still there. It's getting people back involved in that. Absolutely. And and you talk about the changing climate. I mean, it is the elephant in the room. Um, one of the ways in which, you know, how can a fundraiser uh, deal with the impact of some of the scandal that is out there in the media? Maybe some that are listening to this podcast are dealing with scandal in their own diocese. Um, and they've been personally affected, maybe even in their own parish or their own religious institution in which they serve. Um, and I'll just throw out and uh, my thoughts on that, and you guys can jump in with your own. But, you know, I, I think um, now more than ever, that annual report, that financial report of giving uh, accountability, stewarding the do dollars, talking about where the funds are being spent, making sure your donors are educated on the, on the needs uh, as well as where you have spent the dollars in the last year is probably m m more important now than it ever has been before. What are your thoughts? I totally agree with that. The transparency is key. We've got to be up there. We've got to deal with it up front. And there is no hiding anymore. You can't sweep things under the rug like you could back in the day. It's, it's just not worth it. Um, so it, it's um, been... As hard as it is to see things that have come out, um, it's good to see um, dioceses and archdioceses being proactive in coming forward, whether it's uh, for the right reasons or not. Um, but let's, as you said, let's address that elephant in the room, get it out there, deal with it, um, and overcome that so that we can move forward as a church completely without every year or two getting, you know, just over the the scandal here and then boom, here comes the scandal there. Let's all deal with it now and move forward. Yeah, I totally agree with, uh, with both of you and uh, would just say that uh, accountability is the key. And uh, when people are 
are hurt and mad, um, they need a, a vehicle to be able to express that. Uh, so in, in my uh, travels and my dealings with many different Catholic parishes, uh, I think the, the leadership at the local level, the pastors that, that do get out in front of um, that, those emotions and uh, will accept that and listen. I think listening is really key to, to everything that we do, uh, but especially in this case where, uh, as I said, when people are hurt, they want to be able to express that. Uh, and until you, you deal with that, we're, we're not going to be able to move on from it. So uh, I think the church is taking steps in that direction, but we obviously have a lot of work to do. And uh, everything that happens out there in the world impacts us when we go to, uh, go to our donors and ask them for support for the next cause. So uh, we need to be aware of that and, and be able to, uh, to address it. And, and, and it's not easy uh, for you to go and see a donor who's got a, you know, an issue or a bone to pick like that. And I know that a lot of the folks listening to the podcast who may be in diocesan development or uh, school development have sat and listened to you know, the repercussions of what may have happened in their own diocese or their own parish, uh, or just what the, you know, what the donors are seeing nationally, what they see on the national stage, which is popping up in different dioceses around the country. Um, being that listening ear you know, can be a challenge, but it also can produce um, blessings. It can produce uh, good things when you take the time and when a donor feels heard, uh, and then you can take the opportunity to tell them how you are being accountable, how you are being transparent, the steps that your diocese or that your uh, small nonprofit is taking to be proactive and make sure that they know uh, what is happening with the funds that are being raised and, and how you're being um, transparent. So as we move into 1920, what should a small development shop think about? Um, and I say small development shop, some folks that are listening may be a one-person or a two-person development shop um, or a, a very small team. They may have limited resources. Um, I like to say they may only have five loaves and two fishes, but how are they going to multiply that You know, to feed the 5,000? Um, what can someone, what should be the priorities of a small development shop, you know, in 1920 with li limited resources? What do you guys, what are your thoughts? I think it really comes down to, uh, to the people. And, uh, you know, if you have a small, a limited number of people, a small shop, as you're describing, uh, there's, you know, in, in theory, there's a limited amount of work that you can get done. But um, I think that's where you need to expand your, uh, your thinking uh, and maybe look to areas like volunteerism. Because, uh, you know, so many folks that, um, that are supportive of you, of your causes, um, will, be, will get involved with um, different initiatives if they're approached in, in the right way. So um, a lot of times we look at our donors as um, somebody who can help us to, to fund a project or to fund a campaign or in, in that light. But I think to, um, you know, to, to think beyond, you know, our staff. Uh, for uh, for smaller foundations that have boards or, or leadership committees, um, you know, to really rely on them to uh, to do more as as the leadership body of the organization uh, to to help in that regard. So uh, I think we definitely need to be creative in our thinking. We can't just uh, like you say, you can't do the same thing and expect to get uh, you know different results. So uh, so outside of the box thinking, I think is really important. What do you think, Vanessa? I think um, it's communicating your case. 
you know, yes, definitely the people. Um, but getting your case out there, getting it heard, getting people to uh, grow with it, to feel passion for your case so that you can, you know, bring the volunteers in because we all have a passion for, you know, what affects us. Um, and so it may be something you never even thought of until it affects your life. And then you can get behind that and grow that case and educate the people around you so that you become a volunteer and a steward of that, you know, whatever it is. So, um, you know, between the people and the case and the passion, I think it all comes together. What are you two seeing uh, out in the nonprofit world, out in the different organizations that you're working with? Uh, any, any new approaches that come to mind? So, you know, I follow a lot of um, nonprofits that are important to me on Twitter. Mm. So, you know, again, back to the social media element, seeing the creativity with the hashtags and the personal stories and things that excuse me, that um, are important to me so that I can, you know, follow that. And and so the social media, I think, has just really grown and obviously. And if you can take the positive of social media and follow it and create along with it, move with that, then I think you can really be successful. And I've seen a lot of the nonprofits that I follow really take advantage of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of that good stuff that mm. we never had. Sure. You know, 10 years ago was direct mail. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You definitely need to know your audience. Mm-hmm. So if your audience is of uh, a younger, the millennials, um, then, uh, you know, I think social media has definitely got to be part of your strategy. Um, you know, with our um, with our focus with working with Catholic organizations, many of our um, many of our folks, our our audiences, um, you know, has more gray hair, so to speak. So, um, so we need to do uh, have different strategies. But I think I always like to keep things simple, Jim. And I think the relationship is is so important. So to develop those relationships um, and not to rely strictly on direct mail. You know, um, but, you know, maybe to try some different ways of outreach that maybe aren't social media, but, you know, to utilize technology to, to help to develop those uh, those relationships. But I don't think anything really replaces that face-to-face contact. So that's always been what we um, have, have strived for. Um, is to, to develop those interpersonal relationships and uh, and to build on those in, in various ways. There are you know there are different ways to, to reach folks uh, in those um, those events and you know the fun types of things that that resonate with your with your target audience are are always important as well. And and you know um, sometimes summertime, which we're in now, can be an opportunity to kind of do a little you know self check. All right. Where's my board at with philanthropy? You know, where's my staff giving at with philanthropy? And, and maybe, as we said at the beginning, trying something new in that regard. Or do I have an active development committee, you know, on the board? And, um, and do I have 100% giving from all of my board members? Mm-hmm. How are my board members solicited? Who solicits them? You know, are they all at the right levels? Do, they, do we think that maybe they could do a little more for the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, do I just accept 
one-time gifts for my annual fund or am I trying to get reoccurring gifts? Uh, how, what's my success rate on that and transferring those to, to monthly gifts? Or have I thought about doing a pledge to my annual fund versus just getting a one-time gift? You know, spread those payments out over six months or 10 months uh, and what kind of push goes into that? So I think, I think there's a lot of best practices out there where uh, organizations can, you know, just do a little bit of self-inventory and say, where am I at? You know, and it was, as we look at, you know, the fact that not only religion is down, but individual giving is down, you know, and the implications of the tax laws that uh, were enacted. Now we're feeling that, you know, here we are. Everybody wonder, well, what would the effects be? Here we are. Uh, we're down. What, um, what are your thoughts on that? So if the tax advantages aren't there for the average family, uh, how, how, how can we uh, encourage families who may not have the tax um, benefit of giving to an organization? How do we get? How do we inspire them uh, to make a gift? To me, with you know the implication of the the taxes and are taking away um, online giving, I think is a great way in that it. Um, so when you're doing fundraising and you're making an ask. Um, if you break it out and take away the sticker shock of it, you know, I'm going to ask you, Jim, for $10,000 a year over the next five years for a total gift of $50,000 takes away the pain of going, Jim, can you give me $50,000? So to do online giving where it's broken out over, you know, monthly payments is no different than your car payment or anything like that. So to me, that's a great way of getting that out there and taking away the sticker shock because you no longer, you know, if you're not giving over $12,000, you're not going to get that tax break anymore. So, yeah, true. It's, it's tough. Um, if the, the, one of the prime motivations for giving is the, the tax advantage of that charitable gift, then you, you got a much tougher challenge uh, than you did before. Um, what I've seen, Jim, in, um, in, um, in faith-based fundraising is that the motivation is, is much different. So sure. I think we really need to, to focus on what, that, what is the, the good that's being done with your gift and what is the impact. And, um, you know, those are certainly incentives, uh, those types of things, the tax advantages, uh, memorial opportunities uh, for major gifts to be able to put your, your name, you know, families that want to put their name um, somewhere. Uh, that uh, that certainly is an incentive, but shouldn't be the central focus of you know what you know what it is that we're um, that we're asking for. Sure, absolutely. And there's still um, other tax advantages like you know the IRA benefit for those right. uh, who are of the age. Um, but you know what um, I, I'm thinking about parishes now. You know, parish. Uh, my own parish, for example, did a, an increased offertory. We did a stewardship campaign. Uh, in the fall, and we're up just a little bit, but not where we were where we were hoping to be. I hope my pastor doesn't mind me saying that <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> but um, you know, there may be other parishes that uh, that that didn't increase the offertory program, and they're looking at their results, thinking, "Geez, I." I thought it was going to be more than it is now, or maybe they projected it would be more. Maybe in the past, if they had done it five years ago, it would have been more, uh, but they're not seeing quite the results. I think uh, now is really a critical time for, even at the parish level, communications of you know where those funds are being spent on an annual basis. And summertime, as we end the fiscal year, is a good time to do that, you know, to uh, 
put that kind of report together and think about producing something in the fall. A lot of parishes do increased offertory programs or annual giving programs that kick off in September, October mm-hmm. uh, before their bishop's annual appeal begins. And, and that really is a great time. I had a pastor say to me recently, uh, if you're going to do a campaign, do it in the fall because everybody feels good in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good time. Uh, it, there's a sense of refreshment, uh, being refreshed, of, uh, of, of newness, you know, about that s- uh, September month coming back to school. Like there's lots of new possibilities. It, it is a good time uh, to ask. By the time you get to April, May, June, it's just people are tired. They're, they're ready for a break. But so now is a good time to start thinking about that. I think communication is really key um, to be able to um, reach your, your audience, you know, um, with your message. Um, so that, um, you know, and also patience you know, to be patient. So um, it takes a while to sometimes to build up a program um, like an annual appeal. So, uh, and then once you do get it up and running, then you have to, you you have some other challenges, but um, you know, if you didn't do quite as well this year as you hoped, um, you know, really take stock of what it was that, that resonated with the folks and, you know, what are, be honest and what are some of the things that, uh, that they had concerns about and to be able to address that next year. So I think to, to be positive and encouraging um, to our donors is really important and, um, and you know, and, and not to, to get discouraged if, if it doesn't work immediately. Um, if you if you communicate properly um, and and have the right message, then then you eventually you'll be successful. And I'm going to add on to that. Um, you know, an annual report is great. It's you know mailed. It's um, maybe put in the bulletin. But speaking about it and what I think or say as layman's terms, you know, a lot of times we go to mass on Sundays and. It's uh, a, a building we go to pray and take the, you know, communion and we leave. And we don't sometimes realize that the lights there, it's, that's money that has to be paid and the staff that takes care of this, that, and the other. And to communicate that as not as a business, but really, you know, just like you have an electricity bill. We have an electricity bill. Just like, you know, you send your kids to VBS, we have to staff that. And so things like that, putting it so that people understand it more so than I go here for an hour every week to, you know, that kind of communication, I think, is key from the pulpit. I think uh, also just in this, I I agree with everything you you guys are saying. I think uh, in this climate, um, sometimes the natural tendency is, oh, this is just the wrong time to ask for money. You know, this is just the wrong time to get up there and, and make an appeal. Um, but we've got to kind of go against maybe our, 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 our base instincts there and, and be brave, you know, and, and, and put it out there. And remember that uh, we are not asking for ourselves. We're asking for the betterment of the communities that we serve. I always have such tremendous respect for pastors and for nonprofit leaders that are out there and being bold and making the ask because... They're not doing it for themselves. You know, a pastor may only be at his parish for six years, and then he moves on. So if he has the uh, the vision and the foresight to put to do a major capital campaign while he's at that parish, well, he's certainly coming out of his own comfort zone to do that. So right. you know, props to him for 
for coming out of uh, out of his comfort zone to to do what's best for his community because he's not personally going to benefit that you know in the future for his own lifetime he may be at the next community um, and the same for any you know high school president or principal who may be listening that you know making that ask is is you're helping your successors down the road and certainly uh, they they have benefited we have all benefited from those who came before us the generations who raised money and uh, you know built the institutions that we that we now serve and now now it's our time it is it's all how you look at it too because we always say you know for those uh, that are reluctant um, to do fundraising which is just about everybody at least at first <laughs> uh, to uh, to say the worst thing that can happen is that they'll say no right so you know um, and you've um, you know you've at least made that contact and you've got that experience and uh, can take that and and as a learning experience for the for uh, for the next one so um, yeah nothing ventured nothing gained so yep. You know, the, you know, getting out there and, and asking is going to do good. And, uh, you know, in the case of faith-based fundraising, we're, we're doing this for a higher cause, like you were saying. Yep. I always love that saying, it's just not a good time to raise money for my parish right now. And I always say, no time is a good time to raise money. And every day is a good day to raise money. So I like that. Yeah. You know, and, um, and for some of the organizations that we serve, they serve Catholics and they serve non-Catholics alike. Mm-hmm. And we've used this on other episodes of the podcast, but it's so true that we raise money for folks because we are Catholic, right? We, we, we fund these missions because we're Catholic, not necessarily because all the people that we serve are Catholic. Uh, and I think that evangeliz- that's true around evangelization. It's true around social service ministry. And, uh, and it, it, there, there has never been a more important time for us to preserve and to work harder for this mission uh, than today. Any closing thoughts from either of you? I, I, I do want to, and I don't know if I can do this, you can edit it out, give a shout out <laughs> to my pastor in Olathe, uh-huh. um, building a church, brand new, nothing, uh, celebrating mass in the local elementary school. That's great. And 753 families, and he intends to have a face-to-face, vi- not he himself, but he and his committee yeah. intend to have face-to-face visits with all families. And mm. I'm like, that's where you're... That's where your time should be, the face-to-face visit. That's so. excellent. We're definitely not editing that out. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Well, I didn't know if I could drop that Olathe, Kansas. Um, oh, so sure. I want, I want JP2, St. John out. Paul II, Paris in Olathe, Kansas, All Father right. Andrew Strobel. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, just thanks for having me on the podcast this morning. Um, this has been the, the first, my first experience uh, with any kind of a podcast. So um, I've listened to a few, but uh, you know, wasn't really sure what to expect. And um, you've done a great job of making this painless. <laughs> so I certainly appreciate that. And uh, I was just thinking, um, is there any uh, is there theme music involved with your podcast, Jim? There is. There's a there's a little. Well, there, there, we do have a little theme that okay. uh, that we found. Yeah. Why do you okay. do you play the music? Or no, no. I just <laughs> uh, I, I was listening to uh, to iTunes earlier this week and okay. uh, and some of the, some classic rock. Eric Clapton has uh-huh. a song called uh, "Hello, Old Friend." Uh-huh. So I thought that would be a, a, an appropriate. That's a good uh, one. Lead in for your for your <laughs> podcast, but we'll see if we can get the rights to that. I like that. 
there you go. All right. So, yeah. well, thanks again. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, part of our show uh, is to feature some of the great talented people that we have uh, on the staff at CW. Obviously, I'm sitting with two of them, uh, and I really appreciate all your thoughts and insights. And I'm sure that uh, someone who's listening to this podcast will, will, will get some, some new thoughts and maybe even a little inspiration, I think, is what we were hoping for today, uh, to know that you're not in this alone, that there's a lot of us thinking about the same challenges and that, uh, you know, by pulling our, our ideas as a community, we can, we can tackle these challenges and be very successful. So thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. I want to thank Vanessa Dickerson, Fred Roberts, and of course, Jacob Green for being on our show this week. It was a very good conversation. And if any of you who are listening had additional questions or want to follow up about any of the topics that we talked about on today's show, please shoot me an email at jim at advancingourchurch.com. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit our website at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Well, that's it for me. I hope you're all having a wonderful summer. Have a great week, everybody. Take care and God bless.